It is the technology show where we translate geek into regular speak. I'm Brett Levy and I'm your host this week. So this is a show that I've been looking forward to doing now for a while. Um, in traditional fashion of, of big tech, um, I've been playing with some very, very cool toys, as you know, and things that I've reviewed on the show over time. And one of them uh, was on embargo until five o'clock yesterday. So um, I've been itching to do the show. Uh, let me bring up my slides so we can get into it. Uh, I did a shortcut the other day. That should bring it up there. There we go. And today's Things with a Z is the new Google Pixel tablet. So if you're watching the show, you'll see up on the screen that I've put a picture of the tablet up there. You can see it's a little bit offset. And why I'm going to get to that just now. Now, I have to say that um, I've been playing with the tablet now probably for about 10 days, maybe even two weeks, and it doesn't disappoint. Um, I think it's also important to remind you that I use a MacBook and I use an iPhone, but my gaming phone is a Pixel Pro 7, um, and my house is actually all on Google Home or Google Nest. So I don't use Apple devices at home. I don't think much of Apple's smart devices. And Siri doesn't think much of my accent. So when it comes to actually asking you to do anything, um, it's normally more frustrating than anything else. So this home is definitely a mix between Google and uh, Apple when it comes to hardware and software. And even on my company, um, I do everything on Google for business or Google work, I think it's called now. Um, so definitely you know, a fan of both. There's an obvious one left out here, and there's a reason for that. Anyway, moving swiftly along. So. The new Google Pixel tablet is actually an 11-inch. It's got an incredibly clear and vivid screen. The color's rich. The images are sharp. It's pretty much everything you would expect from a new tablet, right? Um, Google, it's not Google's first, uh, what do they call it? Not their first rodeo. Uh, there was the Google Slate, I think it was called. And there were a couple of like seven or six inches uh, under the Nexus brand. Um, and tablets aren't new. I mean, it's actually quite an interesting sector when it comes to technology. So I would have been totally disappointed if the screen didn't pop and the colors weren't vivid and bright, and it, it does. Um, the screen's also very responsive. So when you're moving your finger across, uh, along the screen, um, there's no lag. It's, it, it's not like touch and wait for something to happen. Um, probably also due to the fact that it is eight gigs of RAM on board. Um, so super responsive, um, but, there's always a but. In fact, let me show you. For those that are watching, I mean, you can see it in the picture as well. But for the but for me is is the um, the bezels. So if you look, um, I'm trying to get up in front of the picture. Oh, let's just stick with the picture that we've got. But there it is. If we stick with the picture we have on the screen, right? Um, I just think that the bezels are a little bit big. Now, when you put the Pixel tablet next to um, the home nest, which is one of the screen that, well, I actually had one next to my bed. They look the same, right? They've got the same proportional ratio of, of white to screen to size. So maybe there was a design thinking there, maybe a bit of uniformity. Um, personally, you've got this really big, massive screen. I would like to have had more of it, like without having the um, um, white bezels all around. But 
It's not a deal breaker. Um, I looked at my iPad. The bezels on there are fairly big as well. You know, they are smaller. Um, would this be a reason not to buy the tablet? Definitely not. Some might argue that if you're holding it, you're at the edges, at least your fingers aren't going on the screen, so you're not getting fingerprints. There could be ways of defending the design. I don't know what it is. That was just my personal take on it. Does it deter from it? Definitely not. And maybe next time we'll see when the when the Pixel Tablet 2 comes out next year, that might be one of the design changes. What does make up for it, though, is the position of the front-facing camera. So now that I've said that, everyone that's watching is looking straight at the image now. Um, it's in the middle. So a tablet is designed for landscape. That's what it's for. I don't know why Apple still puts theirs up in the shorter side in the portrait mode, um, like, you know, when you're holding your phone and you have it up there. I still don't understand that. Um, I never will understand that. But the bottom line is Samsung does it this way. I think Huawei does it this way as well. And I'm so glad to see that Google does it this way as well with the tablet in the middle. And I'm going to talk about what it does with its camera as well. Um, it has a feature called continuous framing. So basically what that means is the camera will stay zoomed in on you. So if you move around, um, it will kind of follow and focus on you. And that's probably only possible to the fact that it is in the center of the screen. If it was offset to the right or left, there was always going to be, it's like now, right? If I'm looking at my screen with all my notes and the presentation and comments and things that are coming up, um, you seeing like a side profile. That kind of happens when I've used my iPad for Zoom calls and meets and things like that. And that's just because of the angle. If I've got it at an angle and the camera is now sitting offset to the left or right. So well done for at least giving some thought to the fact that we use these things for video calls. Uh, and that being said, they've also introduced four 360-degree wallpapers. Now, I'm sitting in my studio, as you can see. I was sitting in Apple two weeks ago, as you, as you saw. But if I move around now, you know, there's nothing really happening in the background. Um, with the Google Pixel tab with these four wallpapers, they actually move. They move up and down and around. So it's a full 360-degree wallpaper. There's four of them to play with. They are super tight. They lock onto you perfectly. So you still sit front and center with everything moving around the back. Um, is it a reason to buy a tablet? Probably not. Is it cool? Definitely. And I think from a developer's point of view, you'll be able to create content as well. Like even the studio that I'm sitting in now, I could probably create things that if I had to turn like this and turn turn the screen, I could have a product set up over here that I could now focus on that would be in, in my main screen. So I was pretty cool with that. The split screen function works really well. Um, when Apple first came out with the split screen, it was really stumbly. It was, it, it was clunky. Um, then eventually they brought a button that you could hit them and bring the screens. This one, you like simply, you've, you've got an app open, you drag up slowly from the bottom, a little control or menu button appears, tap it and choose what you want and it fires up perfectly. You can also drag between the two. So by default, it will split your screen equally, uh, but you can give one more than the other. Now, what's nice about that is that if you're working on a document, I could actually open up photos on the one side, click, hold, and drag the photo into the email that I was writing because Gmail was on the other side. Um, so it's like kind of being on a PC. You do the same thing where you could open up two windows at a time and then drag and drop. So that was really cool. And then you can have multiple tabs open in Chrome as well. Now, that's not new. I, you can do that on pretty much any Chrome browser. Um, 
there's other phones and, and tablets in it that do it as well. But it is nice, the fact that I like to use Chrome. I'm using Chrome at the moment as we speak. Um, so the fact that I can have that tab history there um, is pretty cool. So now it's actually time to talk about the secret sauce, the thing that makes the Google Pixel tablet super special and, in my opinion, puts it out far ahead of the pack. And that's the hub. So if you're watching, you'll see now I'm showing a picture from the back. And if you know what the little Google Nest looks like, it kind of looks the same. This is just bigger. So the hub is basically a magnetic hub, um, but it's a, it's a speaker. And Google's really innovated here. So what they've done is that inside the speaker, so the hub is a speaker, as I said, but it's also a wireless charger. I just want to put that in as well. So using magnets, um, the, the tablet connects to the hub, um, and then the sound actually transfers down into the speaker as well. So it still uses the treble out of the um, tablet, but a rich bass sound now starts to come out of the hub. So the other thing that it does is it actually turns your tablet into a home assistant when it's docked. Now, this is something that I, I can probably understand why Google did it this way, to not cannibalize their business. But when you remove the tablet from the speaker, the speaker is not a Nest speaker, like the little Google Mini or Mini Homes, as you might know them, or Nest Homes. Now, I personally would have liked that speaker to still be intelligent. That obviously would have required some form of little transistor or circuit board or something to be inside there. Um, they didn't, um, which I've got comments that are coming up here because I'm not looking at that screen. Um, so um, I'll get to that now. It's actually quite a good one. Um, so basically, I would have liked that to have been a speaker. Um, it isn't. So you need to have the tablet docked in order for it to be an assistant. When you take it off, it doesn't do anything. Um, I think you can play music through it if you send it there. I'm not 100% sure because I actually haven't tried it that way. But um, as I said, I don't think they're ready to cannibalize their home speaker business. Um, and the other thing that we were actually taken through the presentation and part of the press team is that, you know, most people use their tablets at home. So when you're not using it, you just put it onto a wire and you leave it charging somewhere in the house. Now it becomes functional. So now it actually becomes a home assistant. So if you don't have a home assistant, you've now got one. Okay. So the sound, this is really, really cool. Um, it, it, it just brings out bass like you can man what's nice is it doesn't stop the experience it doesn't pause the experience you can be listening to a song watching a youtube video a netflix movie as soon as you dock it there's like this connection and then sound just starts to come out and if you pull it off it doesn't stop and it it, uh, it carries on playing a question just came through now um peter asked so for digital artists how does the pen or brush capabilities compared to the new ipad pro or the high-end wacom tablets that the digital artist like. So I never received a pen with the tablet. Um, reading up on it, it does support most of the default pen um, tools. It is a fantastic question. I honestly can't answer the question because I'm not an artist and anyone that knows me knows I can't even draw a stick pen. So it's not something I would ever take it for a spin. However, that being said, given the responsiveness of the tablet, the way it responded to my fingers, and more importantly, remembering that the pixel ranges, including the phone, 
comes with magic eraser, which allows you to remove stuff from photos that shouldn't be there. You can zoom in and just using your finger even like um, copy it or a, a highlight over it, uh, and then it makes it disappear. I would assume that the capacitive reading of a pen would be first class, as good as an iPad Pro. And you mentioned the Wacom tablets. I think that's in a league of its own. Um, I don't think that you could compare a tab. So if anyone doesn't know what a Wacom tablet is, you might have seen people next to their desk, they have what looks like a hard mouse pad and they use almost like a pen and they write on the on the tablet and that transfers in. A lot of graphic designers and engineers will use the tablet, that kind of tablet, um, to draw and get the fine details of it. And I stand to I stand to be corrected, but I would believe a Wacom tablet is better than an iPad Pro, um, which makes me think it probably would top the Google Pixel tablet as well. I don't know, but I do know that it supports some form of stylus. Um, right. So um, with the Pixel tablet dot, watching content is awesome. So I mentioned how the screen's clear and it's 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 bright and, and it's vivacious, but, but with the amplified speaker, um, it just makes for great bedside viewing. This is not going to replace your TV, but like even now, when I sit and work at my desk, I have an, I've got two or three screens going at the same time. And quite often I have content in a little window over there. I've now been using the Pixel Tablet Dot, so I've got full sound, it's there. And in fact, um, if a meeting request pops up, or a meeting reminder, sorry, pops up to go into Google Meet, I've actually done the call on the tablet. It's just, it's there, it sounds good. I can play with the 360 backgrounds as well. So having a little bit of fun, and yes, I do show off about that. Um, so, but if, if, if you take it, for example, like, the fact that it becomes a hands-free assistant as well. So let's say you're a chef. Another thing that I can't do, so please don't ask me about culinary skills, but let's say you're a chef. Um, you can now bring the speaker base into the kitchen. That would be the place now where you would charge your tablet. You can now watch really cool content while you're cooking. You know, a lot of people that, that like to cook, unfortunately, spend a lot of time in the kitchen. They don't get to watch the movies and, you know, you'll be sitting there go, have you seen uh, episode whatever or whatever? And I'm like, oh, I haven't seen one. You know, at that time, I'm always in the kitchen. So now you've got a screen that's actually big enough to make the content worth watching. And then because it's hands-free, once it's docked, you can go, I won't say the trigger word, but it's hey, and then what we're talking about, that fires up and you treat as an assistant. So you, your hands are dirty. You've got a hands-free um, assistant that's there with you. I hear people saying, yes, Brett, that's no different to the dock and, the, you know, the, I mean, the little nest and that costs substantially less, but that's just a home assistant. It doesn't double up as a, as a tablet. Um, so, yeah, uh, also with hub mode, sorry, so you need to set up hub mode. That was something I was going to talk about next. So when you've set up your tablet for fingerprint lock and face ID and all those things, the option to set up hub mode, it's quick, but you set it up and you add all the other devices that are already on Google Home, they are now all available. So now your tablet actually becomes quite a cool controller as well. It's got a really nice UI to it. Um, you can click and control all the devices that you have already existing on your home network. But now you can see them from the big screen. Um, you've got the um, link to your doorbell as well. So that pops up on the screen. Now that's something that I've found really beneficial about this. I have a nice Google speaker downstairs. So when the doorbell rings, I hear it from when I work upstairs. Next to my bed, I say was, the little nest. You would actually be able to see the camera. 
I can now see the camera because this has been sitting next to my desk. Whereas before, I'd have to pick up my phone, open the home app, have a look who's there, maybe speak to the people if I didn't feel like going downstairs, um, or ignore them if it was my mother-in-law, or you know, something like that. Um, so yeah, it acts as a, a really nice home control unit as well. So we're talking about the um, at the hub. Um, so I've changed the picture as well for those that are watching. So this is the front of it, right? I'm just going to go back. So there's the back where it magnetically connects. This is the front. You can see it's pretty smooth, little magnets. Um, but the design of the dock with its magnets, this was also really well engineered. And this was something that I remembered when they took us through the press presentation. And I've been trying it myself. The tablet clips on and off with just the right amount of force. Now, how much is the right amount of force? This much is the right amount of force. And you can only appreciate this when you actually experience it. I was sitting there watching going, yeah, okay, maybe it's a trick. You lift it at an angle. When you put it down, it connects. By whatever method of testing the, the, the engineers did at Google, it's on strong enough that you won't bump it off. It's on strong enough that it doesn't fall off, but it's not on too strong that you can't lift it with one hand and pull it off. Um, it's... It, it's pretty cool. Like it just it works, and then um, when it's docked, uh, you can. It has built-in Chromecast. So if you had another device, you can actually cast to the tablet. You can cast from it to another device as well. And if you take it off the dock, then you can only cast from it to another device. So you won't be able to actually receive it if you're not docked. Um, it also has Apple TV built into it as well. So you've got uh, Apple, listen to me, Apple TV, apologies, Google TV, but you can get Apple TV now on Google TV. That's what I was trying to get to, a little bit ahead of myself. So you fire up Google TV. I've actually got Google TV on an old monitor in one of my guest rooms. Um, and, you know, you've got all the apps. I've got Prime Video, Hulu. Um, I've got Apple TV, uh, Roku. So everything you want, it's in a great UI. Um, I must say that the... The Google TV user interface has come a long way from the first foray into it. I think they've had time to learn as well from some of the other um, streaming companies out there. But um, I don't have a picture to show you. I, I mean, I, sorry, I don't have the tablet to show you um, in hand the actual cover. So I've put a picture up and I'm going to describe it. But there is an optional accessory. Um, so by the way, I say optional accessory because um, you get the hub speaker with the Google tablet. I'll probably will talk about that again later on, but I'm just before I, in case I forget about it. This is not an optional extra. It comes in the box. It's there. Um, I have been disappointed before when I've bought or received tech and read something online, open the box and the one little component I was looking for wasn't there. It is there. It comes with the speaker. Um, and I believe you can buy extra speakers so you could put them around the house. They don't network. You can't like play it through multiple speakers um but you can then put your pixel downstairs if you're downstairs and charge there or you can bring it upstairs and charge there um but the cover has got this like silver ring around it that acts as a stand but it's been designed so well that when it, it just slides over the magnetic part of the interface when it connects to charge and it does charge through the cover as well i'm going to put a caution out there with all the work i've done with third-party companies and accessory companies and there's a few of them out there and i'm going to give a shout out to the boys and girls over at Zag. Um, not all covers are created equally. Some covers are too thick um, that they won't let you connect through magnets. And this can be on any of your devices, not just this specific device. Others are too thin. 
and it starts to get little holes that tear through them from the um, magnetic interfaces. This one is supplied by Google. I assume it's made by Google um, or an approved third party. Um, so it works. It's got like little spots on it that are designed for the um, magnetic connection. So it goes through clearly. And then this ring just fits straight over um, the, the, the speaker, the hub mount. So a lot of thought went into all these little things. Um, someone that's asked a question, um, can you charge it without the speaker? You can. You beat me to that. I was going to get to that. So there is a USB-C port so that you can charge on the go. Or I use the analogy of upstairs and downstairs. I have a USB-C charger plugged into the wall downstairs. Um, the hub is upstairs at the moment. And if for some reason my battery was running out, I could plug it in. Um, I say for some reason that the battery was running out um, is, first of all, it's got 12 hours of battery time. And if you're keeping the tablets when you're video streaming, so that's probably the most intensive um, use of it. But if you're keeping the device on the stand when you're not using it, it's charging, right? So you shouldn't run out of, of charge. But to the question is, yes, it does have the USB-C. It doesn't come with a USB-C charger. I don't actually recall it coming with a USB-C cable either. Now, that was something that I didn't understand because when you fire up the device, you have the option, which I use, to bring content across from your other Pixel device. And you have to plug in two USB-Cs on either side. So you need one of those cords. Now, a lot of the chargers nowadays have, have that. It's a, a thing that goes on the wall and you plug in the one end and the USB-C goes into the other end, right? It didn't come with that cable. So... I had one. I've got lots of cables floating around at any given moment in time. So I didn't have that problem. Um, but I think that the cable probably should have been included, especially if the assumption was that you were going to copy stuff across from your other device. Um, but yeah, so I think just to just to finish it off, um, it's got the Tensor G2 chip, the Google's own silicone, same as what's inside um, the Pixel range of phones, the 7 series. I mentioned it had 8 gigs of RAM on board. Um, I've got a 128 gig one. There is a 256 gig. I think it's about 100 bucks difference in memory. Don't know. Don't generally talk uh, costs on the show, as you would probably know if you're, regular, if you're a regular viewer. Um, 8 megapixels front and back. So really good. And, you know, it's... It's a kind of tab that you can use to, to work on, play, home, entertainment. Um, I'm not sure about you. I kind of don't use my iPad anymore unless I'm like running around or going on holiday. Because um, if I'm at home, I use, I use a MacBook um, or I watch my content on a TV. So the tablet at first when it came out was something and then it kind of wasn't anything for me. Um, this might change it, like because this now acts as a, once it's docked, it, it acts as another media interface that I can use next to my bed, or as I said, sitting at my desk watching some content. Um, it has the ability to be portable. So all in all, I had a super fun time playing um, with a Pixel tablet, um, and yeah, it's it's now got its home with the rest of my devices. Um, disclaimer: the Nest that I had next to my bed with a screen, it's no longer there. It's now the big glorious 11 inch um, that is I, I don't leave the speaker there all the time I do like to keep it on my desk so I'd probably would buy another speaker and put them in two different places and maybe again there'll be a software update where I'll be able to 
connect them in stereo or something like that. There, there isn't. So don't buy it because there might be an update. Buy it because everything I told you is pretty cool so far. So that takes us to the end of my review of uh, the Google Pixel tablet on things with a Z. So right, on to uh, tech news. Um, this is interesting. So Intel have just announced that they're going to be putting 200 and, uh, sorry, 25 billion US dollars into a new factory in Israel. This is probably going to be the largest investment that's ever been made into their country. And it's interesting in the location because they've chosen and given Israel, which is a powerhouse when it comes to this technology, um, first access to all the new chip technology. I mean, if you imagine now you've got people developing cool stuff in Israel that, you know, from a hardware point of view, that's going to need silicone. Intel's there. They're producing the stuff there. Um, and, you know, the innovation that goes on that space, it just it does seem quite obvious. My only concern, though, is that, you know, the whole Middle Eastern region is its not the most stable of, of regions from a political and war point of view. Um, I wonder if that makes it a soft target for someone, given that, you know, we, we need chips in the world. There's always shortages of these things. And uh, you know, a well-placed missile could go a long way to affect pricing when it comes to silicone moving forward. But let's not think like that. Um, anyway, so, yeah, I, it was a it's an interesting announcement. It's an interesting geography, given that, Taiwan is under threat from China, um, you know, wanting to take control of silicone. I can't remember who it was that announced that or have are building or have built a really big facility, I think, in Texas. Um, they're building silicone there. I think there was AMD. Um, so, yeah, interesting to see what's going on in the silicone space. Um, oh, Twitter. So I, I'm, uh, I just – Every week I get continue, I get more and more disappointed with Twitter. So now Twitter made a plan. I don't know if this is their new CEO because of her background, where she comes from. They plan to focus on video um, creator and commercial partnerships to revitalize the social media. Um, not sorry, to, to, to revitalize their business um, beyond just digital advertising. Um, first of all, you hemorrhaging money when it comes to advertising. So anything you do is going to be beyond advertising because I'm not quite sure you're actually doing that much advertising anymore. It's not a bash Twitter moment, but here's the thinking, right? You're focusing on video and creative com content and partnerships. Isn't that called YouTube or Instagram or maybe even a little thing called TikTok? I know TikTok's getting banned in certain countries, but they're still around. Um, you know, how are you going to come into that space and take dollars away from spend where, where people are getting paid a lot of money? Uh, Twitch is coming on, on the gaming side is coming under fire now from Kick. They're paying like $100 million for creators to move across to them. So we'll watch the space. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, I'm not sold. Um, if you're a Microsoft user, I'm, well, first of all, I'm sorry about that. But... Uh, you may have experienced service outages early in the month, maybe on your Azure server or Outlook, which is obviously email, quite no, most Microsoft people use Outlook, and OneDrive. Um, well, our good friends over in the United States have now told us that it was due to a DDoS attack. So translating geek into regular speak, distributed denial of service. Um, they've identified the group as Storm1359, Storm one three five nine, but basically, what a DDoS attack is when lots of servers make lots of demands or calls on your server, and your server basically falls over. That's what happens. It it just can't process the traffic. Um, 
they DDoS attacks are malicious in the sense that they're frustrating, um, but they don't generally do anything too nefarious. And Microsoft actually went on to say there was no evidence of customer data being accessed or compromised. Um, public warning: If I was you um, and you use those services, or you, you know, if you're running on a, a Microsoft uh, environment, you might want to consider changing your password. And at this moment in time, as for everyone, regardless of what operating system you use, any apps that you use, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, please use two-form factor authentication. In other words, getting a text on your phone to unlock or an email with a code, whatever whatever the two FAs, even authenticator apps. It in this day and age, you know, when companies are successfully DDoSing a company like Microsoft. Um, I promise you, your CTO or your CIO is not good enough to stop it. So, you know, just it's going to happen. We're seeing more and more attacks. 2FA is just one more barrier that we have to protect ourselves. And the other thing that I always say is, well, don't do anything online that you don't want someone to see. So if they steal your data and it's pictures of you wearing funny clothes to the races and that's not going to do any damage to you, all good. Um, what else have we got? Uh, okay, well, this one's th this one's a little bit concerning for me, and I've got my reasons for it. So, uh, if you're not looking at the slides, I've got a picture of a, one of the old phones where we manually took our batteries out and changed them, and you could actually carry a charged battery with you, pop off the cover, swap them. Um, I had a desktop charger that had a slot for a battery as well, so my phone would charge on the desktop charger, and I could charge my battery separately. And then when I left, I took both of them because the battery only lasted about an hour or two in those days. But now the EU is forcing one charging plug rule, right? So we know in this case it's the US, USB-C. Um, iPhone 15 is probably going to come out with a USB-C this year. But now they're focusing on batteries. So now the EU um, is wanting to usher in a new rule. In fact, I'll, I'll read the quote. They've said for portable batteries used in devices such as smartphones, tablets, cameras, um, consumers must be able to, quote, easily remove and replace them. This will require a dramatic design rethink by manufacturers, as most phone and tablet makers currently seal the battery away and require specialist tools and knowledge to access and replace them safely. I don't read so well. It's a bit stumbly. So let's just talk about that for a second, right? So they're saying, great, they want us to have access to the batteries that we can easily change it. Now, all the big manufacturers have done the right to repair. They, they let you repair your device at home now um, without warranty issues. I do agree that opening something like an iPhone is complex and you can actually break things. Um, however, I personally don't want a little thing that slides off my phone so that the battery can come out. Um, I find it ugly. I don't find the aesthetics of the design nice. Um, we don't get them on laptops anymore for the same reason. We don't get them on phones anymore for the same reason. Um, how they would do it that you would be able to open the device and take the battery out easy, I don't know. But really, like, you know, why the EU is just making life difficult for everyone, I'm not sure. Um, and, you know, it's just going to cause issues, right? It's going to cause price increases for us. Um, if, you're, if for some reason your cover doesn't close properly, or it chips or breaks and then it doesn't lock properly because now it's not located on the... There's just so many issues that can come with this as a matter of fact as opposed to um, just leaving it like it is and maybe letting, removing charges if people come in 
and get their battery or or going into a, a, a reseller like an, an apple store and they will open the phone for you and then you can sit there and change the battery and they can close the phone for you i don't know what the solution is but the USB-C argument I can get, the wastage and the direct waste I can get, whether you change the battery or not yourself, it's still the same amount of waste. And they went on to talk about that, the responsible recycling and all these things. So thanks, EU. Um, yeah, it is what it is. And I think that brings me to the end of um, tech news. It does. So as I um, got to play and review the Pixel tablet this week, one of the things that was in the recommended things to do was to try Asphalt 9 Legends. Um, now, I think that was actually preloaded on the tablet when I received it. I used to love this game. I, I admit that the last time I played Asphalt, it was probably like seven. If you don't know what it is, it's a racing game um, where you, you know, you're you driving the car from the third person. So you're driving just behind. Don't actually recall if you can drive from first person Asphalt. I don't think you can. Um, but what was super cool is like, as I mentioned with this, and the reason that's why they recommended it, they, the, the graphics and the colors and that was there, the responsiveness is there when you turn in the corners, um, but you can change it into tilt mode. Now, holding a tablet, I mean, I'm just gonna hold it up here, right? It's, it's almost like holding a steering wheel, like it's, it's there. And you're driving like you're driving a steering wheel. So I've used tilt mode on a phone before, and it's, it's not the same. I mean, if you're using tilt mode on a phone, if I just, Pick up my phone. You know, you're doing you're doing this. Um, it was weird at first. It was super responsive. So I mean, there's lots of crashes and spins and all that. But once you get the hang of it, and you actually, it it kind of almost feels like you're driving a car. So it was a great recommendation. Um, if you have a tablet and you haven't visited a game, if, if you were looking for a game to play, even if it's not the Pixel tablet, I'm pretty sure that GameLoft has made Asphalt Nine available for for other devices as well. Um, but that was my are you game for the week I said I was playing with the device I was reviewing the device that was a recommendation and I'm really really glad that they did so yeah that was it for me from that now Q&A was an interesting one this week so normally I get a question that comes from tech sometimes I get them in real time I actually like look at them yeah if I've got a list in. but someone actually went through a lot of effort I'm going to bring that took a screenshot someone sent me this question in a type form. And they obviously want to see what my answer was so they could see how clever I am or I'm not. Well, guess what? I'm not that clever. I'm just well-researched. So the question is, what unit is used to measure the intensity of light? That was the question. Um, the choices were lumen, Kelvin, candela, mole, um, or ampere. Now, I knew it wasn't a few of those, but I actually went with lumen. That was the answer I put. And I was wrong. The answer is candela um so for those of you that also thought it might have been lumen a lumen is a measure of the total quantity of visible light emitted by a source whereas candela measures the brightness or the intensity and that was in the question right i said what's the intensity so uh, i think you kind of probably knew i was going to get caught out on that one and you kind of led me to it as well because lumen was first on the choice and then kelvin was second which if i'm not mistaken is temperature we know the answer now is candela. I have no idea what mole is. And then ampere, I think, is a measurement of electricity or output. So well done. You did stump me. I feel like Penn and Teller. You fooled me. Um, but I thought I would share because, well, this is Q&A. And if anyone ever says to you at a cocktail party, hey, Brett, what is the way you what is the unit measure to, to measure the intensity of light? I now know it's candela. And ironically, 
from the name candle. And there's nothing really intense of a light of a candle. But that is what it is. So that was Q&A, which obviously means we're, we're now at the end of the show. Um, so I think that let's just do that and turn off the slides. And uh, till next time, keep your screens clean and your knobs shiny. <laughs>